Part 1, Section 10 of The Dark Flower This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dark Flower by John Galsworthy, Section 10 Not one minute all that night did Anna sleep. Was it remorse that kept her awake? or the intoxication of memory. If she felt that her kiss had been a crime, it was not against her husband or herself, but against the boy, the murder of illusion, of something sacred. But she could not help feeling a delirious happiness too, and the thought of trying to annul what she had done did not even occur to her. He was ready then to give her a little love, ever so little compared to hers, but still a little. There could be no other meaning to that movement of his face with the closed eyes, as if he would nestle it down on her breast. Was she ashamed of her little maneuvers of these last few days? Ashamed of having smiled at the young violinist? Of that late return from the mountain climb? Of the flower she had given him? of all the conscious siege she had laid since the evening her husband came in and sat watching her, without knowing that she saw him? No, not really ashamed. Her remorse rose only from the kiss. It hurt to think of that, because it was death, the final extinction of the mother feeling in her, the awakening of who knew what in the boy. For if she was mysterious to him, what was he not to her? with his eagerness and his dreaminess, his youthful warmth, his innocence. What if it had killed in him trust, brushed off the dew, tumbled a star down? Could she forgive herself for that? Could she bear it if she were to make him like so many other boys, like that young violinist, just a cynical youth, looking on women as what they called fair game? But could she make him into such? Would he ever grow like that? Oh, surely not. Or she would not have loved him from the moment she set eyes on him and spoke of him as an angel. After that kiss, that crime, if it were one, in the dark she had not known what he had done, where gone, perhaps wandering, perhaps straight up to his room, why had she refrained, left him there, vanished out of his arms? This she herself hardly understood. Not shame, not fear. Reverence, perhaps? For what? For love? For the illusion, the mystery, all that made love beautiful? For youth and the poetry of it, just for the sake of the black still night itself, and the scent of that flower? dark flower of passion that had won him to her, and that she had stolen back, and now wore all night long close to her neck, and in the morning, placed withered within her dress. She had been starved so long, and so long waited for that moment, it was little wonder if she did not clearly know why she had done just this, and not that. And now, how should she meet him? How first look into his eyes? Would they have changed? Would they no longer have the straight look she so loved? It would be for her to lead, to make the future. And she kept saying to herself, 
I am not going to be afraid. It is done. I will take what life offers. Of her husband, she did not think at all. But the first moment she saw the boy, she knew that something from outside and onward had happened since that kiss. He came up to her, indeed, but he said nothing, stood trembling all over, and handed her a telegram that contained these words. Come back at once, wedding immediate. Expect you, day after, tomorrow, Sicily. The words grew indistinct, even as she read them, and the boy's face all blurred. Then, making an effort, she said quietly, Of course you must go. You cannot miss your only sister's wedding. Without protest, he looked at her, and she could hardly bear that look. It seemed to know so little, and ask so much. She said, It is nothing, only a few days. You will come back, or we will come to you. His face brightened at once. Will you really come to us soon at once, if they ask you? Then I don't mind. I, I... And then he stopped, choking. She said again, Ask us, we will come. He seized her hand, pressed and pressed it in both his own, then stroked it gently and said, Oh, I'm hurting it. She laughed, not wishing to cry. In a few minutes he would have to start to catch the only train that would get him home in time. She went and helped him to pack. Her heart felt like lead, but... Not able to bear that look on his face again, she kept cheerfully talking of their return, asking about his home, how to get to it, speaking of Oxford and next term. When his things were ready, she put her arms round his neck and for a moment pressed him to her. Then she escaped. Looking back from his door, she saw him standing exactly as when she had withdrawn her arms. Her cheeks were wet. She dried them as she went downstairs. When she felt herself safe, she went out on the terrace. Her husband was there, and she said to him, Will you come with me into the town? I want to buy some things. He raised his eyebrows, smiled dimly, and followed her. They walked slowly down the hill into the long street of the little town. All the time she talked of she knew not what, and all the time she thought, his carriage will pass. His carriage will pass. Several carriages went jingling by. At last he came, sitting there and staring straight before him. He did not see them. She heard her husband say, Hello, where is your young friend Lenin off to with his luggage, looking like a lion cub in trouble? She answered in a voice that she tried to make clear and steady, there must be something wrong, or else it is his sister's wedding. She felt that her husband was gazing at her and wondered what her face was like. But at that moment the word Madre sounded close in her ear, and they were surrounded by a small drove of English grandees. End of section 10 Recording by David Angelo